Shir Le'ilun Nishmosim Ephraim Shmuel Ben Avram Aria Cohen and Chaya Tovo Bas Eliezer Mendel Cohen on the book of Yechezkel. We are dealing with the first three verses in uh, chapter four, and um, let me just go over the verses, and then I'll tell you the issues we're dealing with currently. Um, as we know, Yechezkel has been stopped, told to stay in his house. He's housebound. Um, he's not allowed to go out. He's not allowed to communicate with the Jewish people, which we discussed in great detail a couple of shirim ago. <coughs> and now God tells him, Ba'ato Benodon, verse, verses 1, 2, and 3 in chapter 4. Ba'ato Benodon, Katachol, Leveno, take a brick, Venosata Oslofanecho, Vachakosolo, Iris Yushalayim, carve on the brick. The city of Yerushalayim, Motzor, and uh, also he should uh, create a siege around the city. Uh, Dayek, uh, and he should build around it catapults, Solalor, and um, create a siege mound around the city. And have army camps around it, and uh, villages around surrounding the city of Yerushalayim. And the verse we're dealing with currently is the third verse. Take for yourself an iron pan or an iron skillet. And make an iron wall. Between you and the city, directly between you, who are, you Yechezkel, who are building the city, and put it like a, this iron pan between yourself and the city. Uh, and um, direct your face towards it. Uh, and it will be like the siege. Um, and it will be like you are besieging the city. This is a sign to the house of Israel. And the question we left over last time was, we we went into great detail to discuss why you build it out of brick and uh, the the reference to the siege around the city is a reference to, could be a reference to uh, the Babylonian siege of Yerushalayim which is going to take place. But the question was, he was told to He was told to take an iron pan, an iron skillet. He was told to place it between himself and the city that he just carved. And uh, the question that we left with last week is why is there, why was there a need for a barrier? Specifically, an iron pan or an iron skillet between Yecheskel and the city that he just carved from this brick. So there's a couple of answers here that I want to deal with. Some of them are a little bit more complex than others. But we'll start off with the um, Barabinel. Now Barabinel says as follows. Um, he gives the opinions of most of the other commentators, and as is his want, uh, he dismisses them readily, and then gives his own opinion. He says, he says like this, for Said, God said to him, you take this iron skillet, put it between you and the city. Kavabiyarti, Masha Kosov Rashi. I've already told you before what Rashi wrote. 
Shoyadugmas Chomasair Hamafsekas Bain Hatsovo Bainoir. That Rashi says it's designed to demonstrate the barrier between the city and the city of Yushalayim itself and the army outside. But I can tell you that uh, the opinion of Rashi isn't right. Because he's already, he's already built a wall around Yerushalayim when he was actually uh, engraving the city on the stone. Um, and uh, so if it's already there, so what's Rashi saying that uh, an iron skillet represents the barrier between Yerushalayim and the army? There already is a barrier between Yerushalayim and the army, and it's called the walls of the city of Yerushalayim. So he says, Rashi, I don't think Rashi's right. He says, Vaharadak, Rabdovid Kimchi, Kosav Shehoya Kir Barzel, Dimion Li Yisrael, Shalibim Chozak Kabarzel. He says that, the uh, Radak says that the, this, this wall of iron is representative of the Jewish people, that uh, they, they've got a heart of iron, Vaavonosom Shchorim, and their, their uh, sins have blackened them. But uh, he said this explanation is, um, and, and, and the idea being that an iron pan represents the barrier between them and God because of their sins, and it's dark and like iron, uh, it can't be penetrated, he says. But this, this explanation doesn't really make sense. It's only drush, it's just, uh, it's not. Uh, you, can, you can't, it's not literal. It doesn't, it, it doesn't pan very, there's a pun for you, it doesn't pan very well um, with what's actually going on here. He says, says what it appears to me to be, this pan of iron between uh, Yechezkel and the city, after God commanded him to build, to engrave out of this, out of this, this brick, the city of Yerushalayim, he told him to take this pan of iron, to demonstrate that there's a barrier between himself and the city, and he says that uh, the idea is, here, just like Yechezkel is the in this in this representation is the builder, the designer of Yerushalayim, and the designer of the siege that's around it. So that's what God is. In in the real world, God is the builder of Yerushalayim, and God is the one that has brought the siege to Yerushalayim. So, so to speak, Yechezkel's acting out God's actions by by creating the city. He's acting out God's actions. And by creating a Babylonian siege around the city, he's also recreating God's actions. So now, being asked to put in this wall, this iron wall, it is, as it were, an iron wall between him and the city, to imply an iron wall between the Jews and God. Uh, that So during the good times, God, so to speak, was in love with Sharei Tzion, with all the gates of Yushalayim and the city itself. Um, and God's eyes were constantly focused on the Jews and the holy city. But now, because of the, the weight 
of the sins of the Jewish, Jewish people, God has, so to speak, turned himself away, and uh, he's got hest upon him. He's hiding his eyes from Yerushalayim. And that is the representation of the iron pan. And that, that's the idea of an iron wall, umavdil, dividing uh, between God, making a division between God and the city, and also impeding God's oversight. So that so in, normally God's connection with the city of Yushalayim is direct. God's eyes are upon the city all the time. But by putting up an iron wall or an iron barrier, this iron pan, um, it's demonstrating that God's eyes are no longer on the city. And that, so to speak, to a certain extent, he's abandoned the city by uh, putting an iron wall in front of it. And it remains unprotected from God during this period. Omro, And uh, when he says, You should put it directly between yourself. Yechezkel should put this iron barrier between himself and the city. The prophet is acting out what God is doing. And the idea is that the iron, iron barrier is an idea of God hiding himself from the Jewish people, not being able, not being, not being able, not being uh, ready to help. And um, the the model of Yushalayim is a parable to the whole of the southern kingdom. Um, so there are three allusions or parables parables in the story for the prophet Yechezkel um, to understand. The first one is he is a parable to God. The iron wall is a parable or an allegory to the notion that God is hiding his face from the Jewish people and certainly from Yushalayim. And the carved brick city of Yushalayim is a parable for the whole house of Yehuda, the southern kingdom. Continues the Barabbanel. You should direct your face to the city. And it should be like uh, you're besieging it. If there's an iron wall between you and the city, it prevents you from defending it. It will prevent you from seeing it. It will prevent you from having any contact with it. So he says, since the iron wall between you, Yecheskel, which is a moshul, a parable, an allegory for me, to, to me, God, um, this, this barrier... Uh, in front of the city prevents visibility and supervision. You should turn your face towards the city, not to protect it or benefit the city, but to witness it, as I, God, will be under siege and in desperate suffering. In other words, uh, God, it's God's city, and uh, look at the look at the barrier, so you don't see. Look 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 at the iron wall rather than at the city, so that you don't have to see the suffering that's going on in the city and the suffering that God's going through as well for the fact that his holy city is under siege and he commands him to besiege the city himself 
And you can also play out the part of the Babylonians as well. Goza also umachayva. You orchestrating the siege and condemning the city. As the Possek finishes, this whole, this whole get-up, this whole model, this whole representation, this whole allegory is assigned to the Jewish people. It's not talking about the whole of the Jewish people. It's only talking about Yehuda. Yeah, only Yehuda and Yushalayim. Sheyeh be'emes beis Yisrael or beis Elokei Yaakov. Ve'yilohem la'os she'ani master ponai mehem la'hetivosom. And the uh, end of the allegory is that I'm hiding my face and I won't help them out here. But she'yu b'motza v'motza ko'ovim and when they're under terrible oppression from the Babylonians that are surrounding the city. V'she'amotza hu mimeni. Everyone should know that this... Uh, siege around Yushalayim has come from me. And uh, they will be under siege and in the grip of the enemy. And that siege is orchestrated by me and is my judgment of them for their sins. So essentially, the Babanel is telling you that the barrier, Yechezkel is God here in this, um, in this allegory, in this model that he's created. And the final, the final act in the model is creating this iron barrier to show that uh, God's not looking at the city anymore and that the uh, surrounding armies that are besieging it can have free reign to destroy it because God's not protecting it. And the reason is because of the sins of the Jewish people. So that is the way the Abarabanel understands it. And it's a pretty, not superficial, but it's, uh, it's a nice way of understanding it. But there are deeper messages here as well as there always is. Um, so the second answer comes from a Gemara in Brochus. Um, the Gemara in Brochus um, on Daflamid Bays uh, describes the following. The Gemara says, Omar Rebbe said they said in the name of Rebbe Loza that since the day the base of Midrash was destroyed, an iron wall separates Israel from God. And he quotes our Pasuk. Take an iron pan and set it as a wall between yourself and the city. It, it will be a sign for the house of Israel that there is an impenetrable, impenetrable barrier between now, between, during this period of history, between God and Israel. So the Chidah on this Gemara, which is basically describing something really the Abarbanel described, the, the Chidor, Reb Chaim Dovid Azila, Night Gemara, um, uh, had got something to say uh, very dark uh, about this Gemara and about our verse. So he says as follows. He says, this idea, an iron pan between you and the city, Omer Razel, um, we said in, he quotes the Gemara, which we just said, that from the time the base of English was destroyed, there was a barrier between God and the Jewish people. Um, and he quotes the Gemara. Um, but he says, maybe not all is lost. As the Gemara seems to indicate, 
that there is a way through the iron barrier to reach God after the destruction of the base of Migdosh. Because the barrier between God and Israel was instructed to be made out of Barazel, which is significant because it is the words, um, says the Chidor, the word Barazel, these are his words. Nasami Barazel, Liskot Sidkas Hoi Mohos. If you look at the word Barzel, the first letter of each of, of the the first the letters of each of the word Barzel, uh, base, Resh, Zion, Lamed, make up the names of the four Imahos, the four mothers of Israel. The base is Bilhar, the Resh is Rochel, the Zion is Zilpah, and the Lamed is Leah. Bilhar, Rochel, Zilpah, the Leah makes up the words Roshetavus Barzel. The Gam Barzel Gematria Rochel Im Hakolel. And uh, the Gematria of Barzel, which is 239, um, is exactly the same as Rochel, which it isn't, although he says it is. The Gematria of Rochel is 238, but I suppose it's close enough. Keepers Zuchus Rochel, because of uh, the merit of Rochel. Yotzonim in Mitzrayim, we uh, were redeemed for Egypt. Shema Kosov Batana de which uh, we learnt in the Medrash Tana de Beilio, Uba Perish Be Medrash, Hiftiach Akodish Borchul Rochel. And in that same Medrash, God promised Rochel ala Geula um, that eventually all exiles of the Jewish people would be relieved and uh, be mitigated. In her, because of her zechuyot, because of her merits. So the chidor says, so not all is lost here. But uh, this word barzel is um, is representative of even though, even though the Jewish people have got a barrier, an iron barrier between them and Israel. Beyond the barrier, in the upper worlds, you've got the four imahot, and they are, so to speak, speaking up on our behalf. And eventually the voice of Rochel will get through and the Jewish people will be redeemed from all their exiles. And uh, the Babylonian exile lasted for 70 years. Uh, the current exile we've been in lasted quite a bit longer than that. But uh, nevertheless, Luchidor says in the Zuchut of the Emahot, and particularly uh, Rochel, then at the end of the day all the exiles will be mitigated and they'll all gain relief. So he says the, the, it, it's dark, but it's not that dark. Um, so that's the second answer uh, for the why Barzel. Um, but uh, the the, the Benio Yodo uh, takes a more Kabbalistic approach, and he doesn't just want to know why the the barrier between the Jewish people, between the city of Yerushalayim and Yecheskel, or Yecheskel and God, is an iron barrier. He wants to know why it's a pan. What's a pan got to do with it? A skillet. Why specifically machavas? This word machavas. So he asked these two questions. He said, why iron and why machavas? So listen to what he says. Quite uh, unbelievable what he says here. Loma Oma Yecheskel. Why does it say in Yecheskel, chapter 4, verse 3, machavas barzel? Why doesn't it say there's a, there's a take a, um, a copper pan, uh, for example, or, uh, you know, or, uh, or a, an, an, uh, an, an iron plate, or, you know, an iron, um, 
piece of uh, a piece of iron. Why does it have to be a pan? And why does it have to be iron? The Nirali says the Ben Yoyodo, the Nirali Basiata Dishmaya, Ki Hamakal Kilimba Avonos. Afal Pishahim Pogmim Bechol Hasfiros, Uba Arba Osios Hashem Borohu, Im Kolze Ika Halkilkul Vapagam Huba Malchus. He says, uh, despite the fact that the Jews of Yehuda uh, and the Jews of Yushirayim desecrated and defiled themselves with all manners of sin describable, Shvichazdomim, murder, Giliaroyos, uh, inappropriate sexual activity, and about the Zorah and pagan worship, which detracted from all the Sfirot, um, which uh, we're not going to go into, but uh, it detracted from the four-letter name of God, he says. He says, nevertheless, we'll see what that means in a second. Nevertheless, he says, the real substance of the breakdown of the Jewish of Jewish society and the damage that that, 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 that caused had its root in the repeated rotten monarchs of the southern kingdom. This aspect of monarchy, or Jewish monarchy, is secretly represented by the letter He in God's four-letter name. Now, we know God's four-letter name is made up of four letters, a Yud, a He, and a Vov, and a He. He says in the, the, the fourth letter of that, let, of that name, of God's four-letter name, represents monarchy. So he says, Ulechei Nikris Teshuva Toshuv Hey, if you look at the word Teshuvah, it stands for, in Kabbalistic terms, Toshuv. You should return to the Hey, to the King, to the King of Israel. That's what the word Teshuvah stands for in Kabbalistic terms. Toshuv, Hey, return to the final Hey of God's four-letter name. Return to the King. Uchanitzka v'divrei Rabbeinu Zal. And uh, as uh, as I'm reminded, in the words of our rabbis, Kain Yodua, Zayn Matchus Kain. In halacha, in Kabbalistic uh, interpretation, there are seven types of metals. Kach Shorashom Kinizka B'Shem HaZohar. And they're classified by the Zohar like this. Kesef, refined silver, uh, Kesef B'Chesef. Refined silver represents God, God's chesed. Zohov, bigvura. Um, gold represents God's unlimited power, strength, and energy. Nechoshes, copper, besiferes. Copper represents God's glory. Bedil, uh, tin, represents God's, benetzach, represents God's eternity. Opheres, lead. Behold, represents God's majesty. Kesef Chai, raw silver, Beyesod, represents God's secret foundation and essence, which we can never understand. And Barzel Bamalchus, an iron represents God's monarchy. Ulchei, he says, therefore, Kivin She'ika Hakilkul Vahapagam Ba'avonus Hubamalchus. Since all, all, all the, the sinning in the southern kingdom can be stemmed from their monarchy, and uh, the reason for that is the Jews constantly followed the path set for them by a multitude of evil kings. King Manasseh, King Ochos, King Yehoram, etc. In fact, there were 14 evil kings in a 400-year period. It says, because the Jewish people followed the wrong king, instead of following the king, 
the hay at the end of Yud Hay and Vobin Hay, they followed, followed their rotten kings, their rotten flesh and blood kings, who said to Lechay, Kibben Sheikah Hakilkul Vahapagam Vahavonos Huba Malchus, since their, their violations and their defects stemmed from the fact that they chose the wrong monarchs to follow, they chose evil monarchs, monarchs, Lochain Oma Barazel. That's why God instructed Yechezkel to build a barrier made out of Barazel. Shashorish Abarazel Huba Malchus. Because in Kabbalistic terms, Barazel, iron, represents, um, 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 represents Malchus, represents kingship, represents monarchy. Um, and because the essence of their sinning uh, had its roots in the wrong king, so that is, the, that is the cause of the breakdown between them and the real king, the real king of Barazel, the real king uh, who's represented by Barazel by Ayin. Ubezen Nicha, he says, and now it's clear, Masha Oma Yechezkel, what uh, God said to Yechezkel, Kach Lachor Machavas Barazel, take a pan made out of iron, Loma Oma Machavas, why is he? Why did God instruct him to take it and make a use a pan? We understand the word barazel because barazel represents the fact that they were following the wrong king. Barazel is an expression of monarchy that they were following the wrong king, which got them into trouble. But loma oma machavas. Why? Why a pan? Lema luach barazel. Why didn't God just insist on say an iron board or an iron plate? Yodua. He says, you know, that even though the essence of the downward spiral of the southern kingdom in Yushalayim was due to their evil monarchs and the fact that the people chose to follow the evil monarchs rather than to follow the true monarch, God, so even though the essence of the downward spiral of the southern kingdom was due to their evil monarchs, which is representative of the final hay in God's name. Im calls uh, despite all this, Magia hapagam b'chol dalad osios Hashem she sowed machvas. The averas that they did, they transgressed all four, um, all four um, representations. Four letters that uh, are the secret to um, God's power, so to speak. This word Machabas. Shehurosha Tevis, Chochma, Bina, Tiferes, and Malchus. That God's, uh, so to speak, essence is made up of these four issues. Chochma, which uh, is crudely translated as wisdom. Bina, which is crudely translated as understanding. Tiferes which is, again, crudely translated as wonderment, and Malchus, which is correctly translated as monarchy. If we put these, the first letters of these words together, Chochma, Bina, Tiferes, and Malchus, possess Sidrom, uh, a Yud of Chochma, Hei Rishona, Bina, Vov, Tiferes, Hei Achrona, Malchus. So you put the words together, the first words of each, the first letter of each of these words, Chochma, Bino, Tiferes, and Malchus, you get the word Machabas. So what he's saying is, the, the defects of the southern kingdom, or, although mainly generated through their kings, 
were so diverse that they affected their relationship with all four letters, uh, letters of God's name, which is a secret contained in the word machavas, used here to mean just a simple skillet in a pan. If you want to know what the four-letter name of God implies, the Yud, the He, the Vov, and the He. So the Yud represents, so to speak, God's Chochmah, God's wisdom. The, second, the first He uh, represents God's Bina, God's, so to speak, understanding. The Vov, um, in the, th- the third letter of God's name, the Vav rep- represents Tiferes, God's wonderment. And the He Acherona, the second He, represents God, God's Malchus. And now those, those, the first letter of each of those words goes up to wake, make, make up the word Machavas. So here you have the reason why, says the, the Ben Ishchai, he says this is the reason why it's a Machavas Barzel. It's made out of Barzel because Barzel represents monarchy. Monarchy is the source of all their sins, following the wrong king, following evil kings instead of following the real king. Toshuv He, Teshuvah, Toshuv He, they didn't do it. They didn't return to the He, the final He in God's full letter name. They didn't do Teshuvah. They didn't return to the real king. But not only that, their sins also created a pagam created a problem with their relationship, not just with the final hey in God's name, but with the other three letters of God's four-letter name, the Yud, the hey, and the other Vov. So that uh, they, they created a breakdown in the relationship with all four letters of God's um, name, the name that implies mercy. So that... Um, um, you, this Machavas Barzel is representative of the reason why Yerushalayim is, dis, is being destroyed. That's, uh, that's the Banish Chai's Kabbalistic approach. For old nearly, he said, and, uh, it occurs to me as follows as well. B'siyat with the help of heaven. Masha Oma Barzel, Kibizman Beis Amitish Kayim, Machaprim. He said, you should know Another interesting idea in relation to Barazel, this this uh, this iron pan, why it's made out of, has to be made out of Barazel. You should know that at the time when the base of Migdosh was standing, that if you did a sin, you brought a korban, you brought a sacrifice to the base of Migdosh, and you gained atonement. But after the base of Migdosh was destroyed. What do we do now? We pray for some type of atonement rather than bringing sacrifices. It's tefillah b'mokim karbonos. That's what we're doing today. We dab them three times a day. Well, that's how we gain the atonement that we used to get through bringing karbonos. We get it now through prayer. But the problem with prayer is when your heart is not in it. Because as soon as you start to daven, the Yetzirah is on full alert. And uh, as soon as you start to, to daven, and he's talking about the Shemona Esrei, it's the only tefillah that we have. As soon as you start the Shemona Esrei, 
and I've mentioned this on many occasions before, that's the point where the Yetzirah is at his most powerful. He stands there filling your mind with random thoughts. Every, everybody has experienced this. Soon you can forget something for three weeks, but uh, you, you take three steps back to do the to do the Shema Nesra. You suddenly remember what you got to do when you finish the Shema Nesra, and then a million thoughts come into your mind. That's the Yetzirah. He doesn't want you to commune with God. He doesn't want you to get kapara. So the Yetzirah says the Benishchai, the Yetzirah. This is a problem with prayer as opposed to bringing a korban. The Yetzirah is standing there, filling your mind with random thoughts and confusing you. His intention is to remove any and all of your kavona, your the meaning, meaningfulness from your tefillah, and divert your heart away from the task at hand. V'yodua, says the Ben Yishchai, ki ha-yetzara nikrazor. You, know, you should know that the yetzara is called the zor, the stranger. Ukamosha omru rabbaseinu, alaposig in tehillim, just like the uh, Chazal say regarding a posik in Tehillim, Lo yiyeh b'cho el zar. You shouldn't have a foreign god. Ezu el zar, the kirbo shel odom. Who is the zar? Who is the stranger inside a human being? The Yetzirah. This is the uh, <coughs> Yetzirah. He's the stranger inside of you. V'hinei, im tichtov osios leiv. If you write the word lev, which means heart, lemafreya, the wrong way round, meaning the heart is confused, so you write it with a base lamet rather than a lamet base, hamora ala bilbul, in reference to the way the Yetzirah tries to confuse and mix you up when you're davening. So you take the word lev, which is the way you're supposed to daven with your heart, and you turn the word upside down or the wrong way round, because that's what the Yetzirah is doing to you. While you're davening, so you get instead of lamed base, you get base lamed. V'toniach basolcha zor l'mafreya, and you insert the word zor, the stranger, the yetsahara, inside, in between the letters of the lave. Yem izet tiruf barzel. You get the word barzel. So on the outside you got a base, and at the end you got a lamed, making up the word lave, and in the middle of it you got the letters of zayin reish. Making up the word Zor, the Yetzirah. That when you daven, there's a barazel, there's an iron wall between you and God. Because unlike a korban, where you could just bring the korban and gain atonement for the sin you'd done, when it comes to davening, your lave has been invaded by a Zor, your heart, which should be in the middle of the davening, which should be exerting itself to do kavana, to have kavana, to have, bring meaning to your davening. It's been mavulval, it's been deceived. And inside of it, you've allowed a czar, you've allowed a stranger, the Yetzirah, to come inside it. So you take the word barzel, it's the word lave, with the word czar inside of it. Barzel, base lamed at the two ends, making up the word lave. And resh zayin in the middle, making up the word czar, the Yetzirah. Ulechein ha'vornus korolahu barzel. And that's why sins are called barzel. Because the Yetzirah sits inside your heart and tries to get you to sin. If only our prayers today were heartfelt, 
Hayu hat filis mapilim as chomas abarzel hanasis min havonos. Then this iron pan that separates us from God in our current uh, uh, incarnation as the Jewish people would immediately be destroyed. Because again, we'd connect to the Machavas, we'd collect, connect to God's essence, to his, God's Malchus, to God's, um, uh, the essence of uh, uh, what God is, the four-letter name of God, perfectly. We, we'd connect to uh, Malchus, Tiferes, Bina and Chochmah. We'd have complete connection to God. We'd kick out the Yetzirah. And uh, we kick out the Zor from the word Barzel, and we'd have a Leif Sholem. We'd be able to daven with a Leif Sholem, and um, that would bring down the iron wall between the Jews, the pan, the iron wall, the Machvas Barzel, that exists between the Jews and God that comes as a result of sin. Ki ha korbonos machaprim, utfila b'mokim korbonos, and as I told you, because tefillah has replaced korbonos in order to get atonement. Af b'chorban beis amigdash. The problem for us all is that our prayers are not sufficiently heartfelt. Af b'chorban beis amigdash and nifsuku a korbonos v'gamach tefillah shiu b'mekonam einom shleim in belayv. The problem that we have is that our prayers are not sufficiently heartfelt to warrant the same atonement as could be achieved by bringing a sacrifice at the time of the base of Mikdosh. Lochein, nish'ora chomas barzel. In our time, this wall of iron still exists. Heim avonos hanasim min hashros yetzara. Because of the various that we're, so to speak, talked into doing via the influence of the Zor, of the stranger, of the yetzara. Because he is the czar, the stranger inside the heart of every man, making up the word Barzel. Therefore, he says, finally, the iron wall is still present between the Jewish people and God because of our inability to overcome the influence of the Yetzirah uh, while we pray. Which, uh, yeah, there, there you have it. There's a... Uh, there is the Kabbalistic approach to why God uh, asked Yechezkel to build a, a wall made out of a pan, Machavas, what the Machavas represents. Machavas represents the four, four ways we connect to God through his four-letter name, the Yud, the He, the Vov and the He, and the Barzil represents, on the one hand, it represents monarchy, that we failed. In following the wrong monarch, we followed the monarchs of evil monarchs of flesh and blood. Instead of following the monarch Toshuv, Toshuva, Toshuv, Hey, we should have returned to the Hey, the last letter of God's four letter name. And these are the reasons why there is a barrier still till today um, between the Jewish people and God. That is the Drosha of. Um, that is the drosha of the Benish Chai. I just want to say something. Uh, uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure people have got questions on this. Maybe not. Um, it's a brilliant analysis, uh, Kabbalistic analysis from the Benish Chai, very beautifully written. I, I wrote a, a piece uh, a long, t- quite a long time ago about this, the Yetzirah, and um, I, I went through a phase of uh, 
writing Divrei Torah based on popular song. <laughs> and is um, anybody anybody here um, a fan of Billy Joel from the old days? Billy Joel. Yeah, not people nodding their heads. I can see Cherna's nodding her head. She's a Billy Joel fan. Malud, Mr. Corona, Harvey Farber. Were you a fan of Billy Joel? Thumb up, yes. In small doses. Okay, so I was a, quite a big fan of Billy Joel. And so I wrote a... Uh, um, he wrote a song, I don't know if anybody remembers, called The Stranger. And... Um, which was very popular when I was growing up in the, in the you know, I think when I was in my 20s in about 2015, 2016. Um, but uh, he wrote this song called The Stranger, and I, I wrote a, uh, a piece about it. Um, that I don't know if he had it in mind, I'm sure he didn't have it in mind, but there's two verses in this song, The Stranger, um, that gives us an insight to the Yetzirah, how the Yetzirah works, which I thought was, it's brilliantly written by him, but I'm not sure that he had the Yetzirah in mind. He's, he writes as follows, We all have a face that we hide away forever, and we take them out and show ourselves when everyone has gone. Some are satin, some are steel, some are silk, and some are leather. They're the faces of the stranger, and we love to try them on. You may never understand how the stranger is inspired, but he isn't always evil and he isn't always wrong. Though you drown in good intentions, you'll never quench the fire. You'll give in to your desire when the stranger comes along. And that, to me, that pretty much sums up the Yetzirah. That's exactly what the Yetzirah does. He, uh, we try to hide him, we try to put on different faces when we're in private. We're not always the same people we are in private as we are in public or in public when we are in private. But um, he's always trying to convince you that he's right. And even though, as Billy Joel says, though you drown in good intentions, you will never quench the fire. You'll give in to your desire when the stranger comes along. So the stranger is the uh, Yetzirah, which again is uh, explained here beautifully by the Benish Chai. So where, where are we up to? So Yechezkel has built his model of Yerushalayim and its siege, and he's staring at it. Um, and uh, as we move on to verse 4, uh, we'll, we'll, we're going to take verses 4, 5, and 6 together. Uh, I don't normally do this, but in this particular occasion it has to be done. You have to take these three verses together as a group. And um, we're going to have to... You know, for those that don't like, like mathematics, I, I apologize in advance, but there's a little bit of mathematics involved here that we'll have to deal with. Uh, I'll read the, the next three Pesukim and we'll deal with them. And um, then we'll deal with the maths that go with them. So now, uh, again, setting the stage, Yechezkel has built the model of Yushalayim and he's built the siege and he's built the iron, iron Machvas Barzel, this iron pan that goes between himself and the city, and he's staring at it, and um, now God speaks to him again. Now you've got everything ready, God says to him, right, everything sorted, he says, yes, remember he's confined to his house, and God gives him a task to do. He says, lie down on your left side, but Samta as Ovum Beis Yisrael 
and place the sins of the house of Israel on it, on your left side. The number of days that you shall sleep on it. In other words, sleep on your left side. Tisoa es avono. Um, there'll be a number, a number, the number's coming up in a second, in the next verse. The number of days that you will sleep on your left side, tiso esavono. You will bear, lift, atone for those sins on the left side. I'll give you the years of their sins, equivalent to days. In other words, I'll give you the name of number of days that you've got to lie on your left side. And that will equate to the number of years that the Jews have been sinning. Again, verse 5. Three hundred and ninety days. You sleep on your left side three hundred and ninety days. And you will bear, you will lift, or you will atone for the sins of the house of Israel. Referring to the northern kingdom. V'chilisa es and when you complete these these days, 390 days, which represent 390 years of sinning, then you'll have to, then I want you to turn over and sleep on your right side. Shainis, uh, go to sleep a second time. This time you're going to bear or lift or atone for the sins of the house of Yehuda, the southern kingdom, Arboim Yom, 40 days, representing Yom Lashona, Yom Lashona, Nasativloch, a day for a year, a day for a year, uh, I have given you the calculation. You know, Now you know what to do. So basically God's saying, right, uh, get, get your bed ready, and um, what we're going to do is we're going to go sleepies, um, and you're going to sleep for 390 days lying on your left-hand side, and to represent the, the years of sinning of, really, the whole house of Israel, but most notably the northern kingdom, and then turn over onto your right-hand side and sleep for 40 days or 40 nights on your right-hand side, which represents the sins, the extra sins, of the house of the southern kingdom, the Yehuda, and Yerushalayim, 40 extra years of sin they did after the northern kingdom went into exile. So exactly what is this all about? So in order to understand what it's all about, we have to have a little bit of a a history lesson. Um, We sort of did this basic calculation um, right at the start of the book. But um, I'm going to go through it with you now so that uh, I just I'm I'm very concerned that everybody should understand the material and exactly what's going on with these psukim, and exactly what these psukim mean. Like, why on earth should he be lying on his bed for 390 days? So we'll, we'll deal with it. So just let's get the basics right first, and then we'll pursue exactly what the verses are talking about. So let's just go through Jewish history as it relates. We just, uh, interestingly, uh, two days ago, uh, in Shul, we read uh, from uh, the parishes Yisrael and the... Uh, Aseris Adibros, which were given in the year 1312 BCE. Everyone agrees that it was 1312 or 1313. And that's the only disagreement, but either 1312 or 1313 BCE, the Jews left Egypt and received the Torah. 
40 years later, the Jews arrived in Israel in the year either 1272 or 1273 BCE. The Tanakh says that the of was built 440 years later in the year 832 or 833 BCE, um, which uh, Shlomo Melch describes as 480 years after the Exodus. So 440 years after they arrived in Israel, in the year 832 or 833, the Beis Amigdash stood for 410 years. Uh, as the Posuk in Shemot says, The word Veshochanti, Shlomo Melech says, said, when he dedicated the Beis Amigdash, he, he said a drosha on the word Veshochanti, he said the last two letters of the word Veshochanti, I will live there. God says, I will live, I will dwell amongst the house of Israel. It should have said Veshochain or Veshochan. It, it doesn't need to say Veshochanti. So the, the last two letters of that word T, which is Taf and Yud, has got a gematria of 410. So Shlom Al said, the base of Midrash I have built will last 410 years, which it did. So it was destroyed 410 years later. It was completed in 832 or 833 and destroyed in the year 422 or 423. So based on that calculation, they were in the land of Israel for 850 years at this point, taking us through from 1272 to 422 BCE, um, which is exactly 850 years, uh, to the time that they came into the land and the destruction of the first base of Migdosh. Now, the 850 years from the time they entered the land in, in 1273 BCE to the time the base of Migdosh was destroyed in the year 422 BCE, it refers to the existence of the entire kingdom. But part of the way through um, it all started off with one kingdom, with one nation, one federal country, um, administered by 12 tribes, pretty, pretty much similar uh, in style to the United States of America, which is a federal government where you have states that have their own legislature, but they also have a national legislature as well. That's how they, at the start of the, uh, when the Jews first came into the land of Israel, and the, the land was divided up among the tribes, that's pretty much how it was. It was a federal country. You had a, a country of Israel, but it was split into 12 federal states, uh, revolving around the 12 tribes, and each of them had the power to um, create laws, local laws, for their own tribes, but they also were part of a legislature, that, uh, which we call the Sanhedrin, that legislated national laws as well. So we have, uh, in essence, starting off with a federal 12-tribe uh, um, federal country. Then it became a kingdom, a monarchy, and first under King Shaul, then under King David, then under King Shlomo Melech. And then after the death of Shlomo Melech, the uh, country split up into two kingdoms, the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom lasted from the year 796 BCE until the year 555 BCE. It lasted 241 years um, before exile. That's when they were exiled by the Assyrians. So again, what you've got is uh, the southern kingdom 
lasted another 122, 123 years after the Assyrians exiled the Northern Kingdom. In other words, the base of English was destroyed in the year 422 BCE. The Northern Kingdom went into exile in the year 555 BCE. So if you, if you, um, if you uh, take the difference, so you got 132, 132 years, 132, 133 years between the first base of between the the um, exile of the northern kingdom and the destruction of the first base of Migdosh. So, this 850 years that the Jews lived in the land of Israel from the time that Yehoshua Nun brought them in, in the year 1272 or 1273, until the year 70, 796 BCE, um, there was only one kingdom. So there was one kingdom for 476 or 477 years. Um, from 796 until 555, there were two kingdoms, which is 241 years. And from 555 BCE until the destruction of the first base of Midrash in, in 422, there was only the southern kingdom, which is 133 years. So if you add these th- three figures together, where there was 476 years where there was one kingdom to start off with, or one, one federal uh, country for 476 years. Then there were 241 years of a dual kingdom, two kingdoms, and finally 133 years of just the southern kingdom, 476, 241, and 133. That makes up 850 years. So... That is the basis of God's calculation here. Um, and if you analyze all the books of the prophets, the count of the years that the Jews sinned, taking into account both kingdoms. Now remember from the previous verse, how does God calculate sinning? Based on what? So we see how many people were tuned into what I was talking about before. On what basis does God consider a year's worth of sin? Based on the reign of an evil monarch. <clears throat> God, <clears throat> God bases the years of sin based on the reign of evil monarchs. So, which is what we discussed before, right? That Machavas uh, Barazel, that uh, God, so to speak, he, the word Barazel represents monarchy. They followed the wrong uh, king. They should have been following God. They Teshuva, Tosh of Hay, to return to the Hay at the end of God's name, to return to the real king. Instead, they followed evil kings. Every year that there was an evil king on the throne is counted as a year of sin. So, if you analyze all the books of the prophets, the count of the years that the Jews sinned, taking into account both kingdoms, is 436 years, meaning the Jews behaved themselves for 414 years, which uh, was quite a surprise to me. Um, and um, just uh, just to confuse matters a little bit more, even though the count uh, of the years that the Jews sinned is 436 years, from Yechezkel's perspective, it's only 430, because f- from his perspective, it's still six years before the base of Medjish is going to be destroyed. So the last six years of sin haven't been credited to the Jewish people yet. They've still got wicked kings in Yehuda. 
So it's 436 years, but from Yechezkel's perspective, the count for the amount of years that the Jews sinned out of the 850 years is 430, not 436. Because from Yechezkel's perspective, the last six years haven't occurred yet. Because this event, this prophecy, is taking place six, be- six years before the destruction of the Beis Amikdash. So, 430 years of sin, up to and including the year that God is speaking to him. And that the, the split of those 430 years is as follows. 390 years from the time they arrived in Israel in 1272 BCE, until the exile of the ten tribes... In 555 BCE, this period of 390 years of sin includes the sin of the entire nation of Israel, all 12 or 13 tribes. The extra 40 years, to take you up to 430, are the additional years that the southern kingdom of Yehuda sinned during the 133 years between the exile of the northern kingdom and the destruction of the base of Migdosh. So... What we've got here, if you now go back to the Psukim, let me read you the Psukim again. Verses 4, 5, and 6. It says, You shall lie on your left side, and take the sins of the whole house of Israel on, on your left side. So the amount of days you'll sleep on your left side will atone or will lift or will bear the sins of the whole house of Israel combined. You should lie on your left side 390 days, representing 390 years out of the 850 years they were in the land of Israel, where all the Jews sinned, where the Jews, so to speak, were... were were condemned as a nation for sinning. The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom combined. Then, in verse 6, he says, Then, when you've done 390 days sleeping on your left-hand side, flip over and sleep a second time um, for Arboim Yom, Yom Lashona, Yom Lashona, Nasatibloch. You should sleep on your right side for 40 years, or 40 days. Those 40 days represent the extra 40 years of sin that the Jews did after the northern kingdom was sent into exile, and the southern kingdom was still alive and kicking. So, the calculation of the 430 years, this is the way, that's, this is, uh, um, you'll say to yourself, well, how do you know it was 430 years? Where would you get 430 years from? How would you calculate it? So, uh, I think we'll, maybe we'll stop there and we'll do the calculation. I'll quickly give you the calculation next week. How we get to 430, which is 390 for the whole house of Israel and an extra 40 years of sin for the uh, southern kingdom of Yehuda. Um, we have to get this out of the way. I, I apologize to those that are not, you know, really that interested in mathematics so much, but this isn't really, it isn't really mathematics, it's just numerology, trying to reconcile exactly what's going on here um, with God telling him to lie 390 days on his left and 40 days on his right, 
we have to understand exactly what they, these days, these years represent. So the first thing we'll do next time is I'll just briefly c calculate where the 390 comes from and where the 40 comes from. And then we'll get to try and then we'll try and understand exactly what God's talking about here in the post. Why he's got a lie? Why on his left side? Can anyone suggest just uh, before we go? We have dealt with this issue before, right at the very start of Yechezkel. What's the significance of the left-hand side? And what's the significance of the right-hand side? Left-hand side is generally negative, and right-hand side is generally positive. Does everybody agree with that? What did what 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 did we hold on? If people have just got one second, um, oh, and therefore, and therefore. And and therefore, come on. What's what's God representing? What's God talking about? Why? And we'll deal with this next time, obviously. But so let me just uh, remind you of something. Share a screen with you. Everyone remember this. That is the inner sanctum, the Kodesh Kadoshim. Um. The Ark of the Covenant, if you're looking, and uh, hold on, there's the north, south, east and west, so the Kodesh Kadoshim is on the west side, the entrance to the base of Migdosh is on the east side, the showbread table is to the north side, and the menorah is to the south. Yes? Has everyone agreed with that? So what's the left-hand side represent? Looking out from the Kodesh Kadoshim, God looking out from the Kodesh Kadoshim, looking out from the West. If you go left, when you're looking out from the Kodesh Kadoshim, what do you see? Which represents physical, the physical world. And if you look right, it represents, which represents what? The spiritual world. Okay, so... As, as I mentioned at the time, left and right, north and south is going to play a very big part. God doesn't say randomly, listen, well, what, what should we make him sleep on his right side or his left side? Make him sleep on his back? There's, there's nothing random going on here. Nothing. So, uh, unfortunately, it's time to, we're running out of time. But um, next week, please, God, we'll pick up here. Um, there's just a tiny little bit of maths to do to try and reconcile the 390 years um, and the 40 years uh, to get to a total of 430 years. And then we'll get involved with what, what, what on earth he's got up to here. Uh, and what, how is it possible that Yechezkel can sleep on his left-hand side for 390 days and then sleep on his right-hand side for 40 days and in doing so atone for the sins of 430 years? And by the way, even if he did it, did it work? 
Did he atone for the sins of the Jewish people? There was a base image just still destroyed. Yes, it was. Okay. These are all questions that we'll deal with next week. Please, God. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, it was a very, a very, very deep uh, explanation of the iron barrier from the Benish Chai, which I thought was absolutely amazing when I read it. Um, but now we're, we're on verses 4, 5 and 6, which we'll deal with in, in great detail. Please, God, next week. Everyone should have a great week, unless there's any questions. Uh, everyone should have a great week and uh, look after themselves, keep safe, um, and have a great uh, week and a great weekend and a great Shabbos, and I'll see you, please, God, next Monday. Anybody got... Oh, that's a great question. It'd be a bit, he'd be, he'd be a bit sore if he had to sleep, he had to, he had to do that for 390 days. So we'll see, we'll see what God's up to. It's not always clear what God's up to. Thank God. Thank God it's not always clear what God's up to. Um, all right. Cult up to everybody. Have a great week. And that quick churn, I'll answer that question. We'll answer that question pretty, pretty quickly next week. Exactly what's going on here. Okay. Cult up to everybody. And uh, have, a, have a, a great end to the week or middle of the week or end to the week. Good Shabbos and see you next week. Cult up. Bye-bye.